played football. Maybe you could do something with sports and real estate. I'm just like, just like, I don't know what I'm trying to just figure it out. And then like, it was crazy. Then within like a few days, I, I go to this event and then after the event, I get invited to like my friend's house for like, you know, like dessert afterwards. And I meet uh, this guy who also is my current business partner, John. And at the time I'm still very young in real estate. And the guy's like, Hey, you, you and you and John should probably talk. I think you, you guys do some, uh, he, has, he does some similar things that you want to do. And I'm like, all right. And he's like, yeah, so I'm John and I work with uh, real estate and I do this. I have a specialized focus in working with professional athletes. And I was just kind of like, oh, that's, it exists. that's interesting. <laughs> all right, guys, thank you for tuning in to the Post Game Podcast. It's your host, Jonathan Weislow. The Post Game Podcast was designed to raise awareness of the experiences, the challenges, the successes, and the failures found in the transition out of sport. We all go through it. And at some point, there's no better way to prepare for it than to hear from those who have navigated the path. The show is real. We aren't here to glorify the transition. We're here to normalize it. We have guests from all sports with experiences at various levels. College, pro, minors, majors, NFL, NBA, NHL, overseas, and they're all at different stages in their professional growth. I've got CEOs, entrepreneurs, people who are only a few years into their careers, and I also have guests who are still playing and preparing for the next steps. I can only hope that by hearing from the experiences of those who have lived it, we can help current athletes prepare better. Those who are going through it reflect on their approach and at a minimum, provide some great entertainment. In this conversation, we sit down with Eric Dungy, former football player at the University of Oregon and the University of South Florida. In sitting down with Eric, I quickly realized that whatever preconceived notions I had about growing up the son of NFL coaching legend Tony Dungy, they were wrong. I came away from this session not only having a tremendous appreciation for Eric and his humble approach to life, but also his recognition and gratitude for the holistic guidance and industry agnostic support from his family. Side note, Eric is always smiling and laughing, which really made me reflect and ponder my own worldview after the episode, because I don't necessarily have the same baseline mood as he does. The guy is awesome to be around. Eric speaks about the influence growing up with exposure to world-class performance and leadership, to his time at the University of Oregon under Chip Kelly, where he gradually recognized his career after college athletics most likely wouldn't be in football. Eric shares how he discovered his true professional path and found fulfillment by embracing his unique skill sets and connections through sports. Through his own experimentation, Eric learned the importance of being aware of one's own talents, the limitations of the corporate mold, and how to find opportunities that fit into your desired lifestyle. Enjoy. Like the never, here we are, and I'm like, let's do it. What's that shirt you're wearing or that zip up? So it's the NBA, NBA, NBA legend, NBA retired player. So not a basketball player, but... My dad, we got the opportunity to do, uh, he did the chapel at the one of the All-Star games, the 20, whatever the one was in Charlotte, 2016, 2018, All-Star. So he, uh, the NBA PA had him do like a chapel before the All-Star game. We got to link with a lot of like all the older retired players and do like, there was like a breakfast beforehand. So yeah, really cool. They gave me some swag and I, I'm a fake basketball player now. <laughs> well, you make it look swaggy, man. Look, before we get into it, that's a good segue into... Your upbringing. So you're Tony Dungy's son. That's not what this is about, but I'm sure it had an impact on your upbringing and who you are today. So for those of us who aren't children of legendary coaches, what's that like? Like, do you understand the life that you're that you're born into? Do you slowly kind of understand it through the things that you're hearing about who you are and what people assume you are? Walk me through that whole thing. Yeah, I always kind of had like a certain awareness that like who I was 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 unique or different. At the same time, like as a balance, like my family is super super regular, like very regular. But like at the same time, like I can remember going to like kindergarten at my new school and I moved to Tampa and being like, all right, like you're the coach's son, like so like I, I from a from a young age you kind of know that like all right like your world's different. But at the same time, like I don't know, man, like. My parents are cheap, they're frugal, like, you know, like I had to <laughs> do chores to, to get my allowances just like everybody else and just things like that, you know what I mean? So it's like, we lived a, as, as normal of a life as you could, and obviously growing up in, a, in the limelight and stuff, stuff like that. I mean, I just want to take an opportunity to make a PSA. Everybody is unique, not just you. 
are, we are all unique and, and we are, we are caterpillars that turn into butterflies, <laughs> but you have like a hundred siblings, right? Yeah. So, so yeah, that's, that's, yeah, that's unique. And also like, that was also kind of a later thing in my life. So I grew up growing up, I was, a, I was the baby for most of my life. Um, and then my family really started to grow like my freshman year in high school. No, younger than that, but like we were, I was a baby for many years and then I was, we had five for a while and now we're at 13, <laughs> but they, my parents didn't stop, uh, didn't really like pick up the adopting and fostering until I was older. So I grew up kind of, like I said, as the baby for a while. And then, you know, obviously <laughs> things have, have kind of grown since then. So adopting and fostering. So, so. How is that to be around? And I guess what motivates, if you can speak for your parents, like what motivates them to do that? And how does that influence you growing up? Yeah, I think it's just their way to, to give back and to love. And I never really, really knew what the, the deepest motivation was. But my grandmother passed away last year. And during her obituary, during her funeral, they mentioned that my grandmother fostered over 100 kids during her life. And so I think she just set that foundation of like just of unconditional love, especially to those who are you know in need and are, wow. are on, you know, underprivileged and things like that. And I think I, my mom and my, my dad followed in her suit and you know did what they can with their you know time and resources to kind of pass on that love and you know just to give back to, to kids who need it. So it was on your mother's side. Yes. Yeah. My mom's mom. Gotcha. And so growing up with the foster siblings, was there like a label on them, like they're foster kids or they were treated just well, like most of my siblings, uh, have, were actually adopted. A couple have were uh, recently that my parents have fostered, but most of them are adopted. But no, not really. I mean, once you get, once you're in, you're in, and that's just, that's kind of it. You know, I call them my brothers and my sisters. There's no, you know, half or this or that or anything like that. Oh so God. that's such no, a, once you're, it's like a gang. Once you're in, you're in. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, it's such a, such a beautiful thing except you actually can't get out if it's if it's family <laughs> <laughs> and hopefully hopefully not that way but did that have an in i mean you know your perception or adaptation to a team environment just being around so many different people that had to work together all the time yeah i would say honestly more so like than that i just say that like playing sports over like growing up like just allowed me to blend in and fit into many different like spaces now as an adult like you know you're on a sports team basically first and foremost like your position on your team is based on your merit like you know what you what you put on the team you know it doesn't matter who you are or where you come from and then just naturally you're going to have you know have black kids white kids rich kids poor kids whatever right so then then when i'm in college you know doing group projects i'm like all right i can work with anybody and now here i am you know as a professional and i feel like i can connect with you know, people that look like me, people that don't look like me, people that talk differently than me or whatever, just because, you know, since I was six, you know, five, six years, years old, I've been playing, you know, playing on teams with a bunch of different people and, and you got to figure out how to get, get your goals done, you know, with, with using everybody's different strengths and weaknesses and coming together. So I think being on a team, being on teams is my whole life. It's just kind of allowed me to just adapt in other places. And so being in sports your whole life since you were six years old, is that something that was pushed on you and pushed upon your siblings or something that happened organically super organic like and i'm really thankful for that too like i i naturally just you know i think most young men that have a father figure in their life they want to be like their dad so i grew up you know going to work with my dad and like wanted to hang out with him and be like him but it was never like you got a player you got a coach or anything like that and I remember, like, my first year of playing, I was, like, the only kid that was playing when tennis shoes because my parents didn't even buy me cleats. So it was, like, it was the opposite of, like, I wasn't, like, you know, helicopter parents that were forcing me to, it was, like, they were, like, are you sure you want to play? Like, we're not even committed to buying cleats until we, we know you, you know, we, we know you're not going to quit the team. Like, <laughs> So you've got, you've got all your Oregon jerseys behind you. I don't know if you have a USF jersey behind you as well. They're just all the Oregon ones because they're... Yeah, I got a USF on the other wall. Okay. I mean, there's just so many different combinations of Oregon jerseys. I guess there's limited yeah. wall space, right? So do you? what was your first sports experience, and how did that serve as a catalyst for getting you seriously into sports? Man, first sports experience. I mean, as a pleasure, as like a fan or as like an athlete myself? However you want to interpret that question, honestly. I didn't think about it <laughs> as a fan, but now that you mentioned it, like that's that's pretty interesting. I mean, yeah, when you say it like that, I mean, I can remember going to games 
when I lived in Minnesota when I was four, three or four years old. So like, I remember just going to the games, like it's starting to be a blur at this point, but like, I remember just, you know, watching the games and going to sit with my family and stuff like that. So like, I always just like, from the beginning, I can always remember that stuff. As like a player myself, my first game in Little League football, I got, I mean, not to, not to like brag on myself, but I got an interception and ran it back for a touchdown. So like from, from the jump, I was kind of like, okay, I kind of <laughs> like this football thing. And uh, I played safety, and, and I remember John Lynch, uh, he was obviously an all-time safety, played for the Bucks, and was like kind of an older big buddy of mine. He kind of, I remember like after the game, he asked like the next day, he asked me like, hey, how'd you do? And I was like, oh, I, I got an interception, I ran it back. And he was like, oh, you made a house call. And like just that feeling of him, you know, giving me a little swag, like suck with me, you know, 25 years later, just that kind of, that clout he kind of gave me by congratulating me, asking me about my game. So that's one of my first memories as, a, as a, like my own memories. I mean, what a... F- what a first memory. You get one of the all-time greats <laughs> telling you that you're a beast after your first after your first game. Like it's gotta be a confidence booster from that point forward. You feel like at yeah, that point you're like, all right, I'm I'm one of these guys. Yeah, it's, it's, and that's the that's the coolest thing is like all the players that you know my dad coached really treated me like a brother or a little homie or whatever you want to call it. Like, and I really felt like I was one of the guys from like a young age. And that's the thing is like, I wouldn't just, I just want to be like my big homies. And so like, I wanted to talk like them. I wanted to play like them. I wanted to dress like them. I wanted to, you know, depending on who I was around, if I was around Edwin James, I wanted to go to Miami. If I was around, you know, Warwick Dunn and Derek Brooks, I wanted to go to Florida state. You know, if I was, you know, like I was, I was very impressionable. Yeah. I just wanted to be like the guys, you know, so I just, Definitely, that was just like a cool part of my childhood. I mean, I'm you know biased as hell, but you probably should have stuck hanging around Edrin James. I'm just saying. <laughs> I mean, it wasn't not a bad hang, right? <laughs> yeah, man, that's amazing. So, from when you started playing, was it always in your head like I'm gonna be one of these guys? I'm eventually gonna end up in the NFL. Like that's that's all I know. Or were you just kind of taking it for a run? No, I definitely very much thought I was going to the NFL and had that in my mind from a very young age. And I was, had this whole plan, you know, I'm going to go and I'm like every year I mapped out like, all right, when I'm in eighth grade, I'm going to be doing this. And then freshman year, I'll, I'll start on varsity. And then by the you know, senior year, I'll be an all American. And then I'll be drafted first round and I'll, I'll skip my, I'll skip my senior year and go, you know, I had it all mapped out. Like, <laughs> like some people say like, Oh, not in my wildest dreams. Like, no, nah, I had some really wild dreams. <laughs> that That's incredible. I was the opposite. I like kind of didn't realize what was possible. Like back then there was no, I have talked about this in every single episode. I'm getting annoying, but there was no, there was no social media. Like you couldn't see yeah. behind the curtain. Players weren't as accessible. They weren't as, they seemed like folklore, like fictitious characters. Cause you had a TV, the resolution was kind of shitty. Yeah. And that's the only place that you saw them there in like the newspaper and the tabloids. Yeah. Right. So the concept yeah. of celebrity for me was so far fetched. So like, I remember my goals were like, I want to win the home run derby in little league. And then I didn't think about <laughs> after that. Then it was like, I yeah. want to hit a home run in, what, not Little League, what's the other one after that? In Babe Ruth. I was like, I want to hit a home run okay, yep. on the big field in Babe Ruth. And then like I started hitting home runs, and I was like, okay, I want to be on an AAU team. Like I never thought really far ahead because I really didn't know what was attainable. And then like slowly, I was like, okay, wow, I've, out, I've outdone what I thought I could do. So like, you know, you're always kind of, for me, it was you're always kind of satisfied, which was dangerous, right? So you were never yeah. like chasing something it was always kind of like this element of complacency because you're so proud of yourself of getting to this place you never could get to and for you I mean I'm gonna you started by like hey I want to hype myself up I'm gonna I'm gonna humble everyone here but like you didn't play in the NFL you weren't in you weren't an NFL legend right so spoiler alert your dreams didn't come true and right so at some point during this journey are you is there like a milestone that you remember where you were like, all right, well, maybe there's a plan B or like, what happens if this doesn't work out? Walk me through and maybe we do it in like a, like a linear narrative kind of way. Like walk me through the process step-by-step. Like in high school, I'm sure you were a stud. You clearly, you went to Oregon, like step-by-step walk me through that psyche and the the dream chasing. Yeah. So like growing up, just like going to, to like little league and all that. Like I was, you said they're like, like, and you're right. They're like, you know, wasn't social media and like players weren't accessible, accessible, but like, I was really, I don't know if you ever like rivals and those recruiting websites. Yeah, yeah. I was like obsessed with those. So like, I would be on there, like I played wide receiver. So like, I can still tell you like when I was in eighth grade who the top senior wide receivers were like Fred Rouse and Patrick Turner, like, 
You know what I mean? Like, so, like, so I was always like just obsessed with those guys and obsessed with like you know, AJ Green and Julio Jones, all the guys that were like the top ranked guys, you know? So like, it was a lot, like, it was limited information, but I was still always like had that aspiration. So even when I was in eighth grade, I was like, no, there's more out there. There's, there's, there's more than just my little league or my, my team I'm on right now. Like I have these bigger goals. Right. So then going into kind of my journey, I guess I played at a small private school in Indiana, my first two years of high school, my freshman and sophomore year academic school probably the most prestigious private school in indianapolis not really the the best athletic you know powerhouse or anything like that so i played played on the varsity in hindsight i probably wasn't that good but like i thought i was you know i thought i was a shit because i started on varsity as a a freshman you know even now in hindsight i'm playing you know 1a football in indiana (laughs) (laughs) but uh, you know so whatever i moved to florida for my junior year high school moved back to tampa where i grew up went to play in high school which is like an actual powerhouse football school so then I quickly learned like what I was and what I wasn't. And like that junior year was really humbling for me. Like just, I remember our first seven on seven, we played Chamberlain High School, basically all black school, you know, just a whole bunch of just dogs on their team, dudes that, you know, no shirts, gold teeth, the whole nine yards. And we go to like seven on seven, I'm getting pressed off the line, getting, just getting hemmed up. Yeah. I'm like, oh, I gotta like, I gotta get together. Like whatever I thought I was gonna do, like, you know, going D1, going to the NFL, like reality check, like you gotta like- Now I remember- so, so for me, it was in college because I, I was a good player in Virginia. But I remember I went when I went to Miami. You're still talking to like your hometown buddies, right? And then you're yeah. you get labeled as like the guy who went to this, you know, this uh, mystical place to go and play where like, the mystical people Florida, yeah. play. So yeah. are they all like, "Yo, Eric's popping off"? Like, what's he doing? And are you like, "Yeah, yeah, man, I'm crushing"? Or are you like, "Man, I'm not as good as I thought I was"? Like, what are those conversations like? Yeah, so I have two really good friends that I'm still friends with to this day, Richie and Sterling from from my school in Indianapolis. So like they were, you know, big like friends of mine and supporters. So like, all right, bro, you're about to make this move to Florida, like this this mythical land of, of five star athletes and fast guys all over the place. Like and everybody yeah. so the whole time from the day I transferred, you know, throughout the rest of till high school, you know, until we graduated, I'm always kind of checking in with them and vice versa. They're like, yo, what's the light down there? Like, you know, what are the seven on sevens like? What are you know, where you go on a college visits now, like all the, you know, just, they're just kind of checking in with me. And I'm like, yo, it's, it's real down here. Yeah. <laughs> so like that junior year was a very like humbling year for me. And I was in a really bad headspace that year too, because like I said, I've all, I had a lot, a lot of success at my small school in Indianapolis. And I come down here and like play with some real competition. So I had to like put a lot of pressure on myself to be like, yo, bro, like you're, you're the guy that just transferred from Indiana. You're supposed to, you know, I had this, this pressure I put on myself. And then on top of that, when I first, like probably the first couple of weeks I enrolled in school, um, an article got written about where, where I lived and I, and I didn't live in the Plan High School district. I had a special assignment to go to Plan High School, which in Indiana, it was a lot more common. And so when they asked me about it, I just, I just was like, yeah, here, here it is. And then that was a mistake, obviously. So then there's an article and there's all types of, you know, the message boards and the people are talking shit. And, you know, so then I'm like, really in my head, like, oh, I got to prove all the haters wrong. And then when I'm not really doing well, I'm, you know, I'm pressuring myself. So like my junior year, I sucked. Like I was the worst football I ever played. It reminds me of eight miles. Like, like this dude's a gangster. His real name's Clarence. Clarence is the home of both parents. <laughs> right, right. His parents have a real good marriage. Clarence Brooke, that's a <laughs> yeah, private yeah. school. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I had, so to, I had to interrupt, but that's like uh, exactly what pops in my head. Facts, facts. All right. So, so, like, I'll, forget about Papa Doc. I'll speed up a little bit. So my senior year, I kind of get together, kind of humble myself, kind of get back to like, hey, it's just you and football. Don't worry about anything more than like trying to be there for your teammates, right? Like we just wanted one state that year. We didn't, like I didn't really care about my scholarship, my scholarship offers. So like in a sense, when you mentioned how you grew up just like playing, like, hey, I just want to like hit our home run and literally like, I wish at times I would have had that perspective because I was like, oh yeah, like I'm trying to go like be in the NFL Hall of Fame, even though I'm 14 years old. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. So like, I think, there's a, there's a beauty in just having that like youthful naivety of just being able to like be in the moment. So my senior year, I, I really kind of got back to that. Thankfully, had a pretty good year, and then I went to Oregon. So then, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm going well, to Oregon like, now. Like, so I'm back on. Well, you're track. going to Oregon. You don't just go to Oregon. Like at some point, you commit to Oregon, and are you like, all right, I'm back in the game? Yeah. So and that that was kind of an interesting journey too. I was kind of a late bloomer as far as being a prospect, a college, a bigger college prospect. So like my senior year. I'm kind of just on my grind, just like every game, just focusing, you know, just in the, you know, making big plays or whatever. And I still only had like a handful of college offers, like as the season's winding down. 
And then Oregon didn't even really come to the radar after my, after my senior year ended. So it's like, I know like my little brother right now, he's a uh, going into his senior year in high school and he's, he just finished his junior year. And he's like, always like, you know, talking about his offers and this and that. I'm like, man, I didn't even get recruited by Oregon until after my senior year ended. Wow. Like after it ended, it completely ended. It's crazy kind of how it all happened. Basically, I was their last scholarship offer that they had, you know, they had one left over. My college coach ran into Kelly at a coaches convention. Back in the back in the DVD days, my college coach used to just walk around with like like almost like a like a like a drug dealer. He used to just carry like highlight tape, like yo, I got a highlight tape, like yo, I got a safety for you, I got a wide receiver. What, what you want? Like so one mixed tape. Yeah, mixed tape. So he was, yo, I got a I got a wide receiver for you. Which what you want? And so he gave my my tape to Chip Kelly, and, and probably uh, I remember this day. So <laughs> I was I was back in Indiana visiting my homies and. I got a call from from five four one the Oregon number and I remember picked it up and it was like kind of like I was watching the Hangover the original Hangover yeah. with my friends and I was kind of like hey I gotta go like I can't take the call right now can I call you back and and Chip call was like do you know who this is like are you sure like I was like actually I I, do, I have time I do Sorry. have time for yep. you and I like so like that happened I think I think Coach Frost who was the receiver coach at the time who was recently the, the Nebraska head coach. He came to to, to school or in my house to visit me to visit me like a week later. The week after that, I took official visit to Oregon and, and committed like the next day. So it was like a three week little process that you know. Yeah. So people that are like you know, some people are getting uh, committed by like the sophomore year and had you know 100 offers. For me, it was like a really late and quick process. But I had like an injury at the beginning of my senior year, and I kind of took me a little a little while to get going. And so I feel like I just kind of peaked at the very end of that season. And then it just, you know, thankfully Oregon noticed me and, and was able to, I was able to go there. You're, you're, uh, your less gangster Indiana friends are like, man, yo, dude just hung up on Chip Kelly, man. Yo. <laughs> 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 what a beast. <laughs> when you get recruited to Oregon, like what's the conversation? They're like, we got a spot for you, but it's a walk-on or we want to offer you a scholarship or we're going to give you a scholarship and you're going to play immediately or you got to earn your spot. Like what's, what, yeah. as you're going to Oregon, what's your psyche like? Yeah. So there was always kind of the, the scholarship was always kind of the, the, I guess the tone, I guess, of the recruiting, which is, you know, thankful for that. And so, yeah, they're very much just like, Hey, we're out here. We don't know, nothing's guaranteed to anybody. Like whoever comes up, we are, we're recruiting like athletes who want to play hard. And like, you get out here and shoot, if you're good enough, you can play now. If you're not like, you know, you got to earn your spot. So that was like, you know, right up my alley. The big thing for me, people always would give me a hard time. It's like, oh, you went up there for the uniforms or whatever. And it's like, yes, the uniforms were swaggy, but like the main reason why, why what really connected, connected me with them is that like the offense that they were running at the time was like light years ahead of anybody in football. And so like, as like a football nerd that like really like resonated with me. So like, I remember when I was, when Chip came to visit me, I, I was immediately like, we just started, we just like put the chalkboard out and started like drawing up plays and started talking. And I was asking about the, like the zone read and the hurry up offense. And to me, just like the fact that they were like pushing the envelope of, of football and like and trying new things and really being innovative. That was like the, the, the appeal to me. And that was like the whole culture of Oregon, like on the foot, on the field, they were obviously very innovative, but then just like, as far as like our locker rooms, like our academic center, like everything was just very modern, very like ahead of its time. And that was just, you know, very appealing to me. Yeah, they had great uniforms. Like, as a as a spectator, all you knew was that they had state-of-the-art facilities. You knew they had the best uniforms. You know, you knew about the Phil Knight deal and the, the deal with, with Nike. So, like, from a public perception standpoint, you knew that they were fantastic and really special, unique. And then you get there and you see the inner workings of this infrastructure. At that point, at that point, like, were you always an X's and O's guy? Or... Tell me about that. Was that was like the cerebral element of football really what drew you to Oregon? It was more about the facilities. No, it really was about the cerebral element. I just always loved watching film, just trying to like, when I played defense, I would love to always like figure out the tendencies of the offense. I would give anything away by yeah. their stances or by their formations and then vice versa on offense. Like, all right, what are like, what plays can you draw? Like, so I just always loved that part of the game. And then when I connected with like, you know, Chip and Mark Helfrich and Scott Frost, you know, coaching staff there and just like seeing how like again how innovative they were and how they were just like pushing the envelope on like the traditional rules of football at the time and like what you can and can't do it was just like so fascinating that like i just wanted to be a part of it so that was really it more so than like oh what what, what uniforms are we gonna wear like how swaggy yeah. are we gonna look like that was that's all cool but it was like more so just like 
the mindset that they had and like just the eagerness they had to kind of to try new things and that was just really exciting for me. I mean, I went to Miami because you know their stuff looked cool. I'm just being honest. <laughs> I get it. I mean, like, I... <laughs> it's the U. You know, it's like I was the coolest one of my friends for a while. But so X's and O's, like the conversations at home when you were growing up, were they centered around football a lot? Like, did you have like family huddles and everybody talked about football, or you sat down with your dad and learned schemes, or is that something that was just very independent process for you? Yeah, it was like an independent process. Like I watched a lot of football with my dad and like we watched football as a family, obviously many times, but like never really like talked about it. Like when we're having family dinner, it's just about life or whatever. And then my dad drove me to school every day, you know, from kindergarten until I got my, until I got my license. So like we always just, you know, listen to the radio, talk about life, talk about girls, talk about, you know, sometimes football, talk about his job, my day, whatever, right? Yeah. But it wasn't like he was sitting me down and like, you know, breaking things down for me every once in a while i'd be like hey what does this mean and he would show it to me or like whatever but like it was only like if i asked he never really like went out of his way to to force things on me or teach me things but if i like had a little natural curiosity he would you know answer the question and kind of you know feed me some information i mean you got i'm, I'm i can only speak for me but it's surprising you know you obviously you've got the last name and you say that you're a cerebral guy when it comes to x's and o's and you're like intuitively you're like of course like his dad's a walking playbook you know, but it sounds like the fact that it was so organic, not only just like your love for sports, but also your curiosity in plays and your curiosity in schemes and the the vibe of the program pushing the envelope. It sounds like all that just came from you. Yeah, really. That's just, it just like it was one of those things where like I made the decision to go to Oregon and like my, I didn't really have input on in my family, but like my dad kind of like after I made the decision kind of was like, I, I know you're making the right call. And like, I know this program resonates with you. It was so it was almost like he knew deep down based on like, you know, as your dad, like he knew, he knows me more, more than anybody else. And he was like, I can, I can see why you're making this call. Like I'm, and it makes sense to me, you know? So, and so, so he, it was great. So he allowed okay. you just to run that whole recruiting process. And I know it was different because it happened after your senior year, but it sounds like he allowed you to run that whole thing autonomously by yourself and just kind of stood by yeah, as a resource. He, Absolutely. He went on the visit with me to Oregon, just like as a parent would, but like, it was more so he just kind of tried to treat it like, like a parent would like, Hey dad. So like, you know, what do you think about this school? What do you think about that school? You know, and, but just not never, he didn't really push me to anywhere or steer me anywhere. It was just like, he just wanted to be a parent. And that's what I really appreciate about him. Is that in his nature? Just it's And again, I really only know about him what I read previous to this. And I wasn't like a Tony Dungy fanboy, right? I did some, I was exposed to football in, the, in, in, his, in his coaching experiences. I did a little bit of research, obviously, before we started the episode. But now, based on what you're saying, it sounds like, you know, he, he draws a hard line between work and career and family. And it sounds like when he's home and he's with the family, he's, he's very present. Is that accurate? Yeah, so I would say part of mine it's, it's more of like a, a blend, but he's always very present. So, and the, the beautiful thing is like, because I say there's a blend, like I would go to work with him all the time. Yeah. So he's, I'm like, I'm, you know, he's being a dad at work, but it's like, but he's being present with me and enjoying, you know, so it's like, he, so he wasn't drawing the line of like, all right, I come home and I leave my briefcase at the door and I don't think about work, but like at the same time, you know, like he was always, you know, present. He was always at my games. He always was like, you know, home for dinner, took me to, took me to, took me to school in the morning. So like he was present, but he also knew that because of his career, he was going to have to blend the two and take me to work with him and vice versa and things like that. So, so yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. So you get to Oregon and you're a freshman. Okay. What are the expectations for yourself? What are the expectations of others and what actually happens? Yeah. So, yeah, I think we all have, when you go to college, at least for me, like, I'm, you know, I'm like, all right, I want to start, you know, hopefully play a little bit as a freshman, get better, get better, you know, maybe by my sophomore, junior year, start to, you know, be a starter, and then maybe have a chance to the NFL. That's kind of, I think that's my mindset. That's probably most college athletes' mindset, somewhere, somewhere along those lines. So, my freshman year, <laughs> like, again, like, I'm, I'm somewhat delusional as an athlete, I think you have to be to be, you know, to make it, like, so you, even if you, you think you're better than you are, do you think that anything is possible? Because if you don't think that, then you like already don't have a chance. So yeah. I'm, I'm going into my freshman year like, hey man, I'm, I may be a starter, man. If I really, if I really work out and have a good fall camp, like maybe I'll start. 
I redshirted and like in hindsight, like of course I redshirted. I was like 170 pounds. I was slow. <laughs> but like, you know, but like but you go into it like, hey man, I'm I'm working I'm working my butt off, man. If I if I can prove if I can take somebody's spot, maybe I will. Like, you know, and and they but definitely have like a culture what's of like slow. Well you say you say you're slow. Like what's Oregon wide receiver slow? Like a four six. It's no secret I'm a bit of a diva when it comes to interior design. The space you surround yourself with can change the way you feel, the way you think, the way you live. Your home should be a space that elicits your best self in your optimal lifestyle. Whether you're looking for a massive pit sectional for the whole family to jump on, a sleeper sofa, a high design couch for your apartment, or a decorative chair to make a statement in any room, both Edlo Finch and Albany Park make it easy to anchor your home with cozy, stylish sofas and armchairs. As listeners of the podcast, you can use the code POSTGAME at checkout for 10% off any purchase site-wide. Edlow Finch in Albany Park. The cozy home begins here. Okay, all right, continue. Sorry. <laughs> so, yeah, I'll go playing with guys that run four threes or four fours. Sure. So, <laughs> I registered my freshman year, earned some playing time. My I score a touchdown in my probably my third game in my redshirt freshman year. And I'm like, oh, bro, I'm going to have to score like 20 touchdowns like in my, you know, over these next four years. That was my only touchdown. <laughs> so I scored one touchdown in college. I had like, I don't know, probably seven or eight catches, nothing, nothing special. And just, I don't know, nothing really. First of all, you know, I probably stretched the, the limits of what was possible, you know, as an athlete, you know, as far as going to Oregon, playing out of top school and, Everybody that I played, you know, with or and you know had to compete with was also, you know, a stud athlete. So it wasn't sure. like I was like, oh man, they're playing these bumps over me. Like everybody that played over me was really good. So like I don't, I don't have any complaints about that. I just, you know, I had a couple opportunities. I didn't take advantage of them when I did. Had some injuries, like whatever, whatever. And kind of to like the beginning of your question that you asked thirty minutes ago. <laughs> <laughs> so we played Stanford my junior year, and we had a couple guys ahead of me get hurt. And we're like, we're losing the game. And it's like a game where if we, if we lose the game, we're not going to go to the playoffs like we, or the championship, the, the, uh, the BCS back then. They had the BCS back then. So it's like a you know, do or die game. Yeah. Like we have maybe three or four guys get hurt. And I still didn't, I still didn't play that game. And so like, I kind of knew like deep down, it's like, bro, your team literally has no receivers left and they're not playing you. Like you might not, you might not have what it takes. Right. Like, you know, I had to, and I really had to have that like realization, like, that's a yeah. hard, but that's and, a hard pill to swallow. But that's a that's a really tough cognitive process to go through, because I, you know, I think when you're younger and that happens, you're like, man, fuck these coaches, like, you know, they they don't know what they're missing, right? Like, just give me a chance. But to yeah. be like, you know what, like maybe it's actually me, and to take a step back and contemplate what the rest of your future looks like at that age, that's a very mature thought process. Yeah, and it didn't. It wasn't fun. Like it was, and it's. I didn't. I didn't fully 100 percent just be like, all right. Like I know it's over, but it was kind of. That was like the first time where I had to start to accept the possibility of like, all these dreams you have, like, might not happen. And like, yeah, it sucked. Honestly, like I remember just, I went from like being a guy that would watch, you know, watch around the horn and part of the interruption, NFL Live and Sports Center and all the shows, into being like, bro, I don't even want to watch this shit anymore. Like you know, like I don't even barely want. Like I just, I just like kind of lost my love. We finished up. We had a couple more games left that year, and I'm kind of like, kind of knowing, like, man, you're probably not like, you might not be cut out for it. I, I did made the decision to transfer to USF, so I graduated from Oregon, and that was a really tough decision because I knew, like, hey, like we have a sick team, like we have a chance to go to the championship game probably next year. Like we had, you know, Mariota end up winning the Heisman next year. Yeah. Like so, I, we had like, you know, D'Anthony Thomas. Like we had some ballers on our team, but like uh, for me, I was like, man, since you were four years old, you wanted to go to the NFL, and like. It ain't gonna happen at Oregon. Like, you know, think about that Stanford game. I'm like, bro, they literally were desperate for players and they didn't play you. So like, you know, it's, yeah. it's probably not gonna happen here for you. So I had to have that like decision of like, do I leave a great situation like where I'm happy, we're we're gonna probably go to the championship game next year. I have great friends of the team, like I'm you know, love the culture, all this stuff, or do I leave and chase my own dream of maybe going somewhere else where I can play more and maybe have a chance to showcase, you know, my talent. And I'm still, I'm still kind of, you know, trying to talk myself into like believing in myself and like trying to pump myself up and like, hey, you can one good year can change your life yeah. kind of thing. So I made the decision to, to after I graduated to, to go to to do my fifth year at USF back in Tampa. 
And that was like when I kind of had that moment of like, all right, bro, this is your make or break year. Like if you don't put on this year, like no excuses, you left Oregon, you can't blame the coaches. You can't blame anything else. Like it's sure. on you. And went yeah. to USF. I mean, I was all in. I had a personal trainer for like the, I graduated, but there was like a little time before I finished school, before I could go to USF. I had a personal trainer. So I'm in shape. I'm working yeah. out. You know, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not partying. I'm not doing anything. I'm just locked in and get to you get a training camp like do okay have a couple injuries and season ends i'm just like all right man like you didn't you didn't do it yeah and so going going into usf i mean wow you wrapped up your entire career at usf in like 22 seconds there's all this hype and like there wasn't even like a time to get excited you're like i got a personal trainer i'm in shape i'm going there and it was over <laughs> <laughs> yeah it was it was just a frustrating year the, the team wasn't as good as you know we had hoped to be i didn't do well i hurt my thumb like before this season even started so like you know my confidence like my hands wasn't great not making excuses but just you know just shit just wasn't yeah. going my way hurt my shoulder early in the year and the team sucked and then it was just <laughs> before you know it we're like three and seven and i had two catches and like yeah this this, this, this sucks <laughs> so, so i mean at that point you're like all right clearly football's not it and do you have other like what's your circle of friends like what's it what's the social environment like what are the talks back home do you i mean i'm gonna ask it do you feel like a disappointment because your dad's an nfl coach like what goes through your head yeah i'm going through all this stuff and i'm still an introvert, but at that time, like very much an introvert because I have a small, to this day, I have a small circle of friends that uh, 10 years ago, I had an even smaller type, you know, circle of friends. So I'm keeping a lot of these thoughts internalized, which is not healthy. And I'm questioning myself, doubting myself. I remember after we, our, we finished our season at uh, USF and Oregon was getting ready to go to the Rose Bowl. And I flew back out to Oregon just to like, just to hang out with my homies basically. And I'm sleeping on my, my, my homies futon I have like a hundred dollars in my bank account. Hold on, hold on. wait. Like, so your you know, homies are no longer in Indianapolis anymore. They're they're now in or now you have Oregon homies. My, my homies from Oregon. My homies from Oregon. I got homies everywhere. Yeah. But I'm saying my okay. like my, my But it sounds like you've progressed. Now you've got homies in Oregon, which it's got, I got a little I have, more I present. Have, I literally have probably one or two close friends in every city I've lived in. Cool. Awesome. I mean, if so, you say you've got a like small circle, like I don't know a lot of people that have a hundred friends anymore. Like your circles are generally yeah. pretty tight. At least people, people who are realistic understand their circles are tight. Yeah. Which is, no okay. sorry, I so, totally hijacked your story. Keep going. I good, man. So yeah, I flew to Oregon. I was went out there just to like, I had nothing else to do. <laughs> so I was on my homie's futon, just chilling. And they're getting ready for the Rose Bowl. And I'm just like, that's the first time in my life I didn't have anything to do. Like, you know, like you always have like, even if you're in off season for football, you're still like, I'm still going to work out. I'm still going to like, you know, do something. But that was the first time I was like, bro, I have nothing. And that was like a weird time. And then I remember my sister, my older sister was like kind of searching jobs for me. And she found this internship that I ended up applying for. It was a social media internship with the Tampa Bay Bucks. And that was just kind of like, cause like, like I was a good student in school. I, I was a sociology major, which is like, Okay, like whatever. Yeah, <laughs> it's a degree. Yeah, underwater basket moving, like, so. Yeah, <laughs> I was good in the sense of like, I, I did good enough so that they would leave me alone. I didn't have to have I didn't have to have study hall. I didn't have to have like the the college, the coaches weren't going to be on me. But I wasn't good in the sense of like I wanted to like excel and like find out what I cared about and push myself intellectually. Right. So I had I was an average intelligence, but I'm like I have no idea what I want to do and like can I do anything? Like can I do anything besides run routes and catch football like i don't yeah. know and you've been associating then, like so everyone you've been associating with like the topic of conversation is always football like and i just remember right. being in a baseball locker room like you don't talk about much else there's like there's movies you play video games you talk about sports you talk about you talk shit about other people that are your opponents like there's not much you talk about yeah. girls there, there's not much else to it and it's not a knock on sports just that like that that's your life like there's only so much bandwidth you have all of it, right. the majority of it's going towards sports, which doesn't leave a lot of room for high-level thinking, you know? I mean, there are those right. that do it. I mean, it's, it's totally possible. I'm not saying it's an, you can't do both, but, you know, you've got limited bandwidth at that, at that point, and the prevalent topics of conversation are always, you know, kind of negligible stuff. So yeah, there's a lot of guys, you know, in the locker room talking about, Hey, what are your, you know, what's your 10 year plan after this? And what are you, what, you know, what's your career plan? So 
you know, not, not that like no, nobody's fault. That's just, this is the game. Right. So long story short, my sister shows me this internship and I was kind of, I was like, oh, okay, like I could probably do that as a social media job. Like I'm like, I'm on social media. I'm 22 years old. Like I could probably do that. And that was just like the first thing to kind of give me like a little bit of like a spark that like, all right, there is a light at the end of the tunnel, at the end of the tunnel after football where you can do something. But then even then I'll say that like over the next year or so, from when I started that internship to, until I got into real estate, I was just like a shell of myself. Cause I was like, I had so much, my whole life I was very aspirational and had all these, you know, delusional, huge goals and aspirating dreams. And then all of a sudden I was like, oh, I guess now I'll just be a social media manager and I'll make minimum wage. And I'll just kind of, this is my life now. I guess it's football or this. And I'm, this is now I'm, now I'm here and this is what I have to do. And like, I remember just like, I was just like a robot. Like I would go to my job, clock in nine o'clock, clock out five o'clock every two weeks, get my little paycheck, you know, go to the bars, drink, you know, whatever. Just, I was, and I was like six months of that sucked. And then like one day, one of my best friends, Austin Parker, basically just like, it was after one of that day of drinking, like, you know, out of the bars and was like, bro, like, like this is not even you, bro. Like you got to yeah. tighten up, bro. And like, kind of just reminded me that I was like, he's like, bro, you're Eric Dungey, bro. You can do anything you want. Like, like you, you're, you're thinking so small right now. And I was like, dang, I forgot, you know, and I kind of had to like check myself. Sure. And then I slowly started to kind of regain, you know, my essence of being somebody who's aspirational and, and, motiv- and motivated and, and a dreamer and, maybe a little delusional, but like still just ambitious and, and hungry. Yeah. It's wild how like a couple of behaviors like can become habits. Right. And then you just like, think that's who you are. It can completely change your concept yeah. of yourself. I remember, man, I, I, I remember, wow. So I, I, I remember when I first got out of, and I, uh, you know, super ambitious, you know, aspirational early riser, you know, like always just kind of want to conquer the world. Like that's, that's always been, been me but I remember when I first got out of sports I was all about that like that's that's all I wanted to do and then I got to grad I got to grad school and the teacher pulled me aside and was like what the hell are you doing here I was like what do you mean she's like she's like and she said it and I remember it pissed me off she goes she goes you don't belong here she goes I don't know how you got into this program but you, you don't belong here she's like you're with students who have been the best in their class their entire life, they take academia seriously, and you know you're fucking off. You're showing up late to class. You're falling asleep in the back of class. You're wearing a backwards hat. Not that you can't wear a backwards hat. She's like, it's not undergrad. You're not an athlete. Like you can't do that. She's like, I think you really need to reconsider your 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 path in this program. And this is after I got like a 37 on the first test. So <laughs> I remember I, just, I got home and I was like, initially I was pissed and more I was pissed at her, and then I was pissed at myself. And then I identified, I was like, man, maybe I'm just a dumb athlete. I was like, maybe that really is all I am. And I've been fooling myself into this person who can achieve so much and this overly ambitious guy, but maybe that stopped at sports. Maybe I really don't belong with everyone else. Maybe I'm the guy who's just going to reminisce about how good he was in high school and, you know, went to Miami. Like maybe that's just who I am. And then, you know, I, I knew some other people who were that guy. And uh, you know, you start talking to them in that narrative of it's everyone else's fault or like they didn't understand or people aren't like us. Like if you surround yourself with enough of that, man, it can it can consume you. And I, I had a very similar experience where I just like one day just like snapped out of it. I had my former personal trainer from high school. He was actually the one who who convinced me to go to Miami. And I was like, dude, you got to get out of Virginia. Like you totally can can play in Miami. Like one day, and he was he was a guy who was a minor league baseball player, never made it to the bigs. He was a personal trainer for a long time. You know, nothing against that career path, but there are other more impressive career paths out there that are more challenging. And, you know, it kind of coasted it. And then he just, like, hit it off and, and just had a tremendous amount of success one, one day. But that was years years down the road. But he's, you know always been a guy who just believes he is he's super confident and he believes he can achieve whatever he wants if he puts his mind to it he was just a guy who was like i haven't chosen to put my mind to something but he pulled me aside and he goes dude he goes there's guys like me who need to do this because i don't have the ability to a lot more else a lot more else more i don't have the ability to do a lot more than this 
I'm going to edit that in post-production. It's going to sound super long. <laughs> don't, don't worry. Because there are people like me who don't have a lot of choices and can't do much else. And my possibilities are, are limited. But I'm going to find something and, it's, and I'm going to make the most out of it. I haven't found that yet. He goes, and then there's people like you who have the entire world ahead of them, ton of talent and whatever you want to do. You're smart. You're ambitious. you got a great personality. He's like, fucking use it, man. He goes, if you want to do this, you want to prove them wrong, just do it. He's like, but don't let some teacher who doesn't know you tell you who you are. Like, you know who you are. And then it, it takes very similar to you. That was a long-winded way of saying I had a similar experience. It takes yeah. somebody who really knows you better than yeah. you know yourself to just light a fire under your ass and get you to believe in yourself again. And that can be, and it's amazing. If you don't have those conversations, who the hell knows what could happen? So what happened? I mean, you, you, he kicks your ass. Yeah. He kicks your ass as, you know, yeah. your motherfucking Eric Dungy. What do you do with that? Yeah, I remember just like kind of being like, oh, like you're right. Like, like there is anything that's possible. And I am only 23 and like, or maybe 24 at that point. And like, like there is, yeah, like I can, I can do stuff, whatever stuff is. I don't know, but like, I know that's like, there's stuff out there I could do. Like, yeah. so it was, it wasn't like all of a sudden the next day I got my real estate license and sold a million dollar houses. Like, but it was like, okay, you're right. I can, I, and I mean, just started like the process of me being kind of, you know, just hungry again and looking for opportunities and then reading books and just thinking about what I can do. So at some point I got into real estate, basically a mentor of mine just encouraged me to get my license. And really my thought process was like, I want to be a flipper. I was like, yo, I don't want to work for anybody. Like I'm an introvert. I'm going to be my own boss. Like F everybody else. I, I just, I just had my heart broken by football. Basically I'm still kind of still sorry from that. Yeah. And so I got my license and that was my intention. And then, uh, and I guess it's actually a pretty cool story that before I get into like my kind of like, uh, kind of like a pivot to being more of an agent, but so I, I started taking my classes and Chip Kelly comes full circle, comes and um, he's coaching the Eagles at this point. And he invited my dad to speak to the team before training camp, you know, you have guest speakers or whatever. And so he was like, Hey, if you want to come with your dad, I'm, you know, give you a, give you a plane ticket, you can stay in the hotel with him or whatever. So I'm like, cool. I had nothing else to do. <laughs> so I fly out there and my dad, you know, speaks, gives the team a speech. We watch practice and Chip had a, a few of my, my college teammates on the coaching staff and a few of my college teammates were playing for the Eagles. So he was like, Hey, you want to stay here for a couple of days and just kind of like hang out and like watch practice and sit in on meetings. And I'm like, hell yeah. Like, of course, it yeah. sounds amazing. And I'm like, almost kind of like, what's the catch? But I'm like, all right, like, sure, let's do it. And then like three days goes by and then he's like, all right, that was cool. And I get on a plane, go back to Tampa and I start, I start my real estate classes or I continue them. And, and then like probably two weeks later, I got a call from a, a, one of my contacts at the Eagles who's like, Hey, we have like a very low level entry level coaching job. Are you interested? And this is going to sound crazy. And but I told, I turned it down for real estate and I, and I told him like, I just got my real estate license. I kind of like to, when I start something, I like to finish it. And I just want to see this through. And it's going to sound like totally crazy, but like in my mind, I was like, if I want to get another job in the NFL, I probably could this time next year. Like I'm still sure. only 24. It's not like, you know, it's not like my life's you know going to be gone, but I just kind of was like, and, I, and for me growing up and, and moving to different cities and, and moving as a coach's son and traveling around and, and getting fired and moving, I was like, I really want some stability in my life. And I'd love to like do something where I can just like stay in one place yeah. and not like be in the NFL where you could be every single year, of course. be in a different place. So I turned down a football job for real estate, uh, which is probably, I don't know, very many people would do that. You know what? I, I was talking to a, to a very close friend of mine, actually one of my former coaches at, at Miami, who's been on the coaching circuit for, I mean, since, since I was playing. So it's got to be 15 years now. And uh, I mean, just, just an awesome guy. But it's a grind. You know, you're away from your family. Yeah. You're relocating. You're typically the first to go before the head coach goes because he's got to, you know, you got to you got to have scapegoats, and that's what the underlings are. And I'm I'm paraphrasing, obviously, but that's that's kind of how it works. And yeah. you make you make a ton of sacrifices, and there's very little stability, and your family's kind of always on on edge. So, you know, he was he was talking to me, you know, just kind of about what the next steps are. And he's we've had conversations from time to time. He's contemplated getting out of it, and like got to pick my brain on some contacts and in other industries and look to start something new. And there's a lot of guys out there 
I've had conversations with that are that have been in it too long and can't get out because there's yeah. not a lot of applicable skills. I mean, there's applicable skills, right. but not applicable resume applications. And you're certainly not used to working in a standard corporate environment outside of a locker room. And it's like the longer you do it, the harder it is to get out. And so for you to kind of recognize that early on and be like, I can go and do this whenever, let me try my hand at the real world and, and, and get into real estate and something that maybe my friends aren't doing and never thought I could do. And uh, let's, let's abandon the athlete identity. That takes balls, man. And it's interesting because yeah. you, it's interesting because you're like, oh, I'm 24. I got all the time in the world. I remember like you talked about like these different milestones and goals that you'd set and yours were loftier than, than mine were. But I always had some sort of milestone by a certain age. And you know, I was always in a hurry to do that thing by a certain age. So when I was like 23, I was like, man, I'm 30. <laughs> I was like, it's too late. I can't go back. I can't do this. Like I, I got to just charge forward. And I, I just, I never thought I was young right now. I, you know, I'm 35. I feel like, like a dinosaur, you know, and like in some, you know, people are like, man, like you're, if someone if someone is ever like, hey, you know, you're doing really well and you should be proud. I'm like, man, like if you if I talked to 35 year old me when I was 25, if 25 year old me was yeah. interviewing 35 year old me, I'd be like, dude, what took you so long? <laughs> like, it, so it's just just a super mature way of thinking to recognize you got you got time. So talk about your your move to real estate and. I guess how empowering that was to try something new you had little experience with. Yeah. So I'm, I'm really grateful, like for my parents, like, I think at that time, like, not that they were like, you know, giving me handouts, but it was kind of like, all right, I'm not going to be homeless if I, if I, you know, so I had that like piece of like, all right, I want to find what I want to do, but I don't have to take the first job I get offered. I don't have to take the first thing that's paying me money because like, I'm not desperate. Right. So they give me that comfort to kind of have that patience. And I got into real estate like I mentioned, I wanted to, I initially wanted to be a flipper. So I was spending a lot of time trying to find properties to flip. Didn't, wasn't very successful with that. And then about six months into that, I was just kind of thinking like, man, like if I want to like do something with this real estate thing, I got to have like, a, like some kind of focus or like a niche or something. I'm just brainstorming and I'm like, all right, like played football. Maybe you could do something with sports and real estate. I'm just like, just like, I don't know what I'm trying to just figure it out. And then like, it was crazy. Then within like a few days, I go to this event and then after the event, I get invited to like my friend's house for like, you know, like dessert afterwards. And I meet uh, this guy who also is my current business partner, John. And at the time I'm still very young in real estate. And the guy's like, Hey, you, you and you and John should probably talk. I think you, you guys do some, uh, he has, he does some similar things that you want to do. And I'm like, all right. And he's like, yeah, so I'm John and I work with uh, real estate and I do this. I have a specialized focus in working with professional athletes. And I was just kind of like, Oh, that's it exists. that's interesting <laughs> and so we uh he was like hey let's get breakfast tomorrow we'll talk a little about what i do he wasn't actually looking to like hire anybody at the time i didn't i didn't think i was looking for a mentor little did i know i absolutely was <laughs> and so like we just hit it off and eat immediately and he was like hey i don't have all the answers but like if you trust me like let's ride and like i'll teach you what i know we can figure some things out together and we still be partnered up for a couple of years he was kind of more so my my mentor and now we're kind of you know 50 50 partners but yes, that was about seven years ago. And, wow. and I kind of been on a journey ever since just kind of, you know, uh, honing in on that niche and on that space and kind of refining myself and, and, and kind of just on this ride, you know, doing real estate. I mean, you keep saying like, I'm an introvert, I'm an introvert, but I mean, you talk a lot, you talk enthusiastically. I mean, you're, you're talkative as shit for an introvert, man. You've got, <laughs> you've got amazing, amazing affect. I mean, does a lot of that come from feeling empowered and feeling confident in yourself and your career, like you've been reinvigorated? Yeah, I would say that. And just honestly, just having a comfort in who I'm talking to and having like a comfort in like who I am. And I, so I think growing up, you know, just being the son of somebody who's in the limelight, I think I had a natural tendency to maybe not trust people and not want to open up around people. And also I just as a teenager and as a, you know, in your early twenties, finding myself as a person and, and maybe you're, especially as an athlete, you, you exude confidence, but even though deep down, maybe you're still insecure. And then, you know, now as I'm getting, you know, late twenties, now early thirties, I'm like pretty comfortable with my own skin. And also like, you know, if I'm comfortable with somebody, I feel, I guess, a natural ability to open up. And I, I am an introvert, but like when I, when I 
when I'm passionate about a topic, I kind of, I kind of lose it. So whether it's like football or real estate or like whatever, if I, if once I start to get going, like I kind of open up about something that I kind of, I kind of, I mean, I mean, we're talking about forever. you. So like, I would hope you're enthusiastic. <laughs> <laughs> right. I mean, it's something I love talking about. I love talking about me. Yeah. It makes sense. Exactly. (laughs) Look, man, you say you got tight circles. You say you got a couple friends in every single city. What does your social circle look like now? Is it real estate professionals? Is it former athletes? Is it professional athletes? What does that look like and how does that influence you? And how do you think that that, well, not how do you think, do you think that that contributes to your continued success and focus in real estate? Yeah, absolutely. I think there's just a, I'm, I'm a believer in like the general idea of like the people that you spend time with and who you're around are kind of going to influence you. So not that you're like choosing your friends based on like, you know, what they do, but like at the same time, you just naturally kind of gravitate towards like-minded people. So I would say I have like a, a very few people that I really, really, really trust and spend a lot of time with. And they all kind of just, people like my friend Austin, I mentioned, who really knows me and can call me out on my shit when I'm not, you know, being the best version of myself. People like my boys, Richie and Sterling from Indianapolis, I mentioned. So there's obviously, you know, some people I really trust, but then as a, in real estate and in sales, you have a, a big circle of, of clients and friends and referral partners and, and, you know, affiliated professionals and things like that. So I have to kind of, you know, balance that natural desire to kind of spend alone time and, and to be close off with, you know, the natural, like, I guess, you know, business mindset of you know, meeting people and growing and, and, and things like that. So I mostly hang out with just, you know, I guess most of my friends are former athletes just, just because most of my friends are either teammates of mine or guys I played against or things like that. But just mostly people just kind of have a like mind with me that are just, you know, mature and positive and, and forward thinking and looking to grow as people. I mean, real estate is, and again, it, it's no offense to the, to the career because I, I have a passion for real estate myself. It's really not that hard. If you no, pay, absolutely. <laughs> if you pay attention and you're selling a good product, the product can sell itself. But it's a relationship-based right. career. If you're going to do well, it's purely relationship-based. It starts with branding and marketing, obviously, just to get some traction. But like once you have a portfolio and a good client list, if people like you, it's it's all relationships. So as a self-proclaimed introvert, did you recognize that it's a very social career? <laughs> And how have you had success in it? Like, yeah, tell me about that. Sometimes I'm like, what did you get yourself into? (laughs) Cause like, yeah, I mean, obviously when I get going, I can, I can talk and I can, you know, you know, be a little outgoing, but like, it kind of wears me out. Right. So like I have, you know, times where like, yeah, you go to like a, some kind of function or some kind of networking event and it's fine. But then I get home and I'm like, oof, I'm tired. Like I want to go to sleep for like two straight days after this. So like, yeah. It's, I love it, but like sometimes I really, I really loved it during the, during the pandemic when you could go show houses on zoom and everything was virtual. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There was no face. It was like, it was like the best of both worlds. I love the houses. And I love making money, but I also like, like my alone time. <laughs> For sure. Were, were people buying? So during the pandemic, you had buy, people buy places sight unseen based on zoom videos. Yeah, it was crazy. And that's like really just kind of like when my business like really took off career wise, just, I think Florida took off as well, but like, that was like very unexpected where like COVID first hit, you know, I remember like the first the, the basketball game with like the Oklahoma City Thunder, the Jazz, where like that like shut the, shut the game down. The next thing you know, like the stores are shut down, the whole world shut down. And I'm like, all right, like, I don't know when this is going to end. And then like a month later, people are like, hey, so that house is for sale. Like, could you go over there and like FaceTime us? And I'm like, sure. And then they're like, hey, we want to put an offer in. You're just like, it's this easy. Like, like really? Like, hell yeah, I'm staying in real and estate. Keep going. Yeah, that's amazing, man. Look, it's awesome to see you doing so well and have such an like such a huge smile on your face. I mean, your affect is amazing. It's contagious as hell, man. And just thank you for the time. I mean, truly. And I think it's a, a very honest story that you've told. You know, you started hyping yourself up. That was the first thing you talked about. Was the <laughs> your first play ever? Was it was an interception? And you know, it, <laughs> and then we got into humble pie really quickly and it was a very comfortable space for you and i think if there's something to be taken from this it's just being aware of what you are and what you aren't and being willing to make those decisions and pivots based on your recognition of your skill sets and abilities i don't know if you have any other thoughts before we close but this has been a a tremendous session man and I, i i thank you 
No, man, that's, it's been great. And honestly, just retelling some of those stories has been great for me, kind of therapeutic. And I think you really just kind of summarized the best, man, just having that self-awareness to know what you are and what you aren't. And to like, know like, hey, when you got something like, hey, you got it and go for it. And also to know like, when you don't have it, like, hey, it's okay to know you don't got it. And it's okay to, you know, to pivot and turn back around. So I guess that'd be my advice for anybody that's listening. But thank you just for having me on and allowing me to tell my story. And I really enjoyed it. All right, man. Awesome. Thanks again. And uh, it's gonna be a great episode. All right, let me stop recording. That should do it. If you enjoyed this episode, please don't hesitate to share with a friend, family member, colleague, or just listen to it over and over again. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram. It's at postgamepodcast underscore. Or if you really have nothing to do, you can feel free to follow my personal Instagram. It's at Jonathan Weislow. Until next time, this has been the Postgame Podcast.